Brothers and sisters, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we're thankful for the ancient words that have been written down, uh, words to guide us, and even words to fill us with the nourishment that our souls so badly need, even this morning. Uh, would we hear the word of Christ and respond in faith and look to him as the one who gives us plentiful provision for our very souls? We pray this in his mighty name, amen. Back in 1968, a man by the name of Paul Ehrlich had a very dire prediction for the world. Uh, he predicted that mass starvation would come to mark the decade ahead. He wrote in a book called The Population Bomb, the battle to feed all of humanity is over. In the 1970s, Hundreds of millions of people will starve to death in spite of any crash programs embarked upon now. At this late date, nothing can prevent a substantial increase in the world death rate. Well, that's a pretty gloomy outlook for what was coming just a couple years ahead. Why was that the case? Well, because he was looking at the principle of scarcity. Uh, he looked at how much food the world produced, he looked at how many people were increasingly being born into the world, and he did the math and said, within the next two years, millions and millions of people are going to starve to death. Well, we live over 50 years since that doomsday prediction was made. Uh, back then, there were about three and a half billion people in the world. Uh, and last count, we're a little under eight billion. And far from having more people starving each year, uh, the world is actually producing more food than ever before, and the rates of starvation uh, have been down for a long time. In fact, the problem is not that people, uh, there's not enough food for everybody, it's that uh, the food doesn't travel to the places it needs to go due to politics and wars and uh, things like that. Well, uh, Ehrlich's thesis, though, to most of us, as we think about our lives, it resonates at a sort of level. Maybe he was wrong about the global population and farmers and things like that. But we all know what it's like to have lack in our own resources, don't we? Uh, to have a checking account without enough uh, numbers in it to be able to cover the numbers on the bills that came in that week. Or to not have enough friends in our life to feel like our self-esteem can stay at a manageable level or even spiritually, to feel like we have crushing burdens on top of us and our stores of strength are just about to run out. Each of us knows this principle that, that lack can lead to disaster in our souls, which is why we need to counterbalance the reality that we don't have inexhaustible resources with another truth, that God has inexhaustible resources that he delights to provide for us. I found a poem that captures this well. This is from Kent Hughes' commentary. Yesterday, God helped me. Today, he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Uh, that's what we need to believe if we're to live faithfully in this world. And to help us to achieve that in our hearts, we have this text in front of us from Luke 9. Uh, it's a text which shows one of the most famous miracles Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, with a truth 
that you cannot just tune out and assume that your heart does not need to hear. It's that your famished soul will find plentiful provision from Jesus. That you can trust Jesus to provide what you need even today. Uh, we'll see that in two sections as we move through this very well-known miracle. First, in 10 through 14a, we'll learn the lesson of our lacking in learning. Our lacking in learning. Then in 14b through 17, we'll learn of his plentiful provision. His plentiful provision. And all this, I hope you will know that you can bring your famine-stricken soul to find the plentiful provision of Jesus, even this day. Uh, let's begin in that first section, our lacking in learning. Uh, our passage is picking right up on where we were last week. Uh, the disciples had just gone out on their first mission trip. Uh, they had been commissioned by Jesus to go out and use his power and authority. Uh, now they were the ones that were able to cast out demons and disease and proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. And it went beautifully. Uh, they were able to see demons bow to their will. Uh, they were able to see people recover their health right before their eyes. And they were able to see people bow their hearts before the God of heaven. All by their hands. Uh, how exciting that must have been to come back to Jesus with that report. Jesus, you're never going to believe what happened. Jesus, we've got to tell you about this one person. Well, in that exciting moment, Jesus, being wise, understands that with every spiritual high, afterward brings with it a low. And so you see there in verse 10, after they come back, uh, he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, Jesus understood that uh, all of us are in need of rest and recuperation, relaxation, especially after we've expended ourselves in ministry. So he and his disciples pull back. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, but then we see the curveball, the crowds. Uh, the crowds figure out where they're going. In verse 11, when the crowds learned of it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Uh, so Jesus and the disciples, instead of getting to debrief and relax, instead they end up in another gauntlet of ministry. But right here, you see, what you see from Jesus is fully in his character. If there are people in need of his healing touch, and in need of the word that he brings from heaven, Jesus always has time for them. As exhausted as we may be and as limited as our energy reserves are, uh, Jesus never looks down on someone coming to him for help. Well, all of that sets the stage for this miracle that we know so well. Uh, the day starts getting away from them. Jesus just keeps going on preaching and healing and dealing with people's problems. And the whole time the sun starts fading down into the horizon. And the disciples begin to realize something. Wait a second, we've got a problem on our hands. Uh, we're out in the middle of nowhere and there's a group of people here that are going to be very hungry and very lost at what they're supposed to do in terms of lodging. So in verse 12, we're told, uh, they saw the day was beginning to wear away. The 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. The, their pragmatism uh, makes a sort of sense. 
I mean, they're in a desolate place. I don't think that means the desert, uh, but there's no McDonald's or Holiday Inn anywhere for people to go conveniently to. Um, and they, when they're looking at the size of the problem, it's rather significant. Uh, we'll find out in a second. There are 5,000 men there. Uh, the way they did counting back then, that was the count not including women and children. So you could double or triple that very easily. It's a stadium-sized crowd, and there's not a bite to eat or a single motel room for them to sleep in. So they tell Jesus, they, they tell, they don't ask, Jesus, send them away. And that's their first mistake. Uh, you would think, experiencing what they just experienced, that they might have paused before they opened their mouths in this moment. I mean, consider it. They have seen Jesus do a series of miracles that shows he has the authority of the very Lord of heaven. He is master of storms and sicknesses. He is even master over the dark spirits of Satan's army. They've even seen Jesus extend that authority to them. So you might think their first instinct would be, well, we got a big problem. Maybe Jesus has a big solution. But they're not operating out of a mindset of faith. Instead, they're operating out of a scarcity mindset. They see a big problem, they see their small set of resources, and they think to themselves, this is impossible. Which makes what Jesus says in verse 13, oh, so interesting. You notice what Jesus said to them? But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Now there's irony here, because in just a moment, they will, in fact, take part in giving them something to eat. But why would Jesus tell them to do something that clearly they're unable to do? After all, between them, they have five loaves and two fish. It's like five bags of Fritos and two cans of tuna. You're not going to feed a stadium with that. What is it that Jesus is trying to do here? I think he is very lovingly and intentionally leading them to realize their lack. So it might lead them to turn to him. Uh, Jesus knows fully that there's no way that they can feed this crowd in their own power. I don't think Jesus ever intended for them to have wagons of bread hiding around some hill somewhere or to find some way to creatively travel back to town and back. Now, Jesus wants them to realize the magnitude of the problem and realize that they are at the end of themselves. There's no more resources to be able to carry out the task He's giving them. Yeah, maybe you've heard this truism that Christians toss around. That God will never give you more than you can handle. Anyone heard that? Uh, we say it to each other. Usually we say it as a way of trying to be comforting. When someone is anxious about something that's about to happen, and we, we mean it to say, well, you'll get through it. It's going to be fine. Now, buried beneath it are a couple of assumptions. Now, it's true that God knows exactly what challenges you will face in exhaustive detail. You will never face a difficult situation or a trial that God has not graciously ordained and doesn't fully know about. That's true. It's also true that God knows precisely what resources you have at your disposal. Your money, your self-confidence, your intelligence. He knows all of it. But it is not true that God will never give you a task that is beyond your set of resources to be able to accomplish. Uh, I, I challenge you to find a single verse in the Bible that tells us that God will not do that. 
In fact, I think you'll find lots of verses that show God doing precisely the opposite. Giving us tasks that are so huge, so impossible, that we despair of ourselves and we look to him to provide the grace that we don't have to be able to accomplish them. Uh, one example for you, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, he describes some sort of affliction he was going through. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. It was too much for Paul to bear. Uh, he said that three times he cried out to God to remove it. That's a way of saying as earnestly as he possibly could in prayer, he begged that God would take this away from him. What did God respond to him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made per- perfect in weakness. Instead of God telling Paul, well, suck it up. Just look a little deeper. You've got the resources. I won't give you a problem too big for you to handle. He tells him that my grace is enough. Enough for you, be, for you to be faithful even through this very, very hard thing. Uh, realize that God is doing this over and over again in each and every one of our lives. Uh, presenting us with challenges and trials and difficulties that when looked at from a human scarcity perspective would be impossible for us to handle. But with the resources of heaven and the plentiful provision of Jesus, we have all we need to be faithful. Jesus wants us to learn our lack so it will lead us back to him for a fresh measure of grace. Uh, I don't know if you've ever let your kids help you with tasks in the yard. Uh, fall time, we're outside a lot. Uh, our kids love to help pick up sticks and break leaves and the like. And sometimes they uh, are so zealous to be able to help, but they don't know their own limits. So they'll try and do things, and maybe they'll actually make things worse in the process. So every once in a while, I give them a task um, to essentially to teach them a, a, a little lesson in humility. Um, Theo was out one day with me, and he's hauling stuff, and I could tell he was starting to think he could do everything on his own. So there was this big tree branch that fall in, in our backyard, and I said, hey, Theo, why don't you go bring that tree branch from over there and drag it over to this pile? Now, I knew this tree branch was big, big, big. There's no way that my five-year-old Theo is going to be able to move it. But he said, sure, Dad, no problem. He runs over there, and he gets his arms around it, and he starts pulling. Ah, ah. He gives it about three tries, and he says, Dad, it's impossible. There's no way that thing could get moved. And I said, that's okay, Theo. You know what? Let's do it together. And I went over, and then the two of us, we moved it, mostly me, with, with his little hands helping. We moved it. Now, why did I do that? So that he would learn his lack of strength, and know that he has limits. But also that he could learn that when he comes to a problem that's too big for him, he could come to his dad. Uh, Jesus wants us to come to the realization we don't have all the resources we need. We in of ourselves are not up to all the trials and difficulties and pains of this world. Uh, We in and of ourselves cannot achieve the things that we are called to on mission for Jesus. But with his grace, grace that he delights to provide, we have all we need. And each day a fresh provision so that we can be faithful. Brothers and sisters, would you turn to Jesus in your lacking? Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and there's something that's really weighing you down. Uh, Maybe it's that pile of bills I talked about. I know with 
inflation what it is and people's budgets being tight, that's a very real thing. What do you trust Jesus to provide in his timing? Uh, maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's a relationship that you feel is lacking. It feels like a hole in your heart that nothing can fill. Uh, what do you trust that somehow in the middle of your disappointment that Jesus will provide what you need, even if it's not exactly what you're expecting? Uh, but for that to work, we need to be in the habit of looking to Jesus and not looking to ourselves. I had a had the opportunity to walk with a, a dear brother who had a burden that was far too heavy for him to handle in his own resources. Uh, he'd had a series of spinal cord injuries that had forced him to walk around with uh, an immobilizing device. It was like a halo attached to his skull that kept him from further injuring himself. Uh, the pain from his injuries and the surgeries to correct it uh, meant that he was unable to sleep well. Uh, he wasn't able to think clearly for years at a time. And as a result, he wasn't even able to provide for his family. Now, they lived through some very difficult times, some times of real want. And yet, by the time I had met him, it, had, it was obvious that he had learned the lesson of his lacking, and he had learned to turn to Jesus. Uh, the Lord had provided through various means, but what was most noticeable is how sweet his walk with Jesus was. How when he prayed, he prayed to someone who knew that Jesus was near and was ready to provide for him. Brothers and sisters, that's the Jesus that you get to turn to. The one who will never begrudge you for reaching out in your lack. The one who has an inexhaustible store of blessings and provision just waiting for you. Would you turn to him in faith? Well, that brings us to the actual miracle itself, which we see in verses 14b through 17. What does this provision actually look like? Well, Jesus starts off by telling his disciples to get the people to sit down in groups of about 50. Uh, even when Jesus is about to do a big miracle, remember, he is still a God of order. So they sit down in neat little groups. And after he does that, he does something very ordinary. Uh, he takes their tiny little uh, supply of bread and fish, and he holds it, and then he gives thanks. Uh, there's a reason why Christians are known for praying before meals. We're not imagining that some magical thing is happening to make the food more nutritious. No, but we realize that every time we fill our stomachs, it reminds us who provided that sustenance that we need. It's a, an opportunity for us to worship God, and even to have gratitude for the things that we rely on him for day after day. Uh, Jesus does the same. He, he thanks the Father in heaven. He blesses the meal. And then he starts to break the bread and dish out the fish. Uh, he hands it portion by portion to the disciples. who then bring it to the people seated around. Uh, but the remarkable thing is that Jesus never runs out of the food. The more bread he breaks, the more appears. The more fish he dishes out, the more there are. More and more is dished out until everyone has eaten enough to their being described as being satisfied. In fact, there's even more that's needed to satisfy them. Uh, there's more than they could possibly eat. So much that they would have a stomachache if they tried to. So much so that they are, have leftovers. Twelve big mounds of them. Enough to fill up twelve giant baskets. Now that's one heck of a doggy bag for you to take home with you. 
Now, what are we to take from this miracle that Luke has recorded for us about Jesus? Well, first, I think we're supposed to see the connection to the prophets that this miracle shows us with Jesus. Remember back last week, there was this question, who is Jesus? And Herod was getting reports from the people, well, maybe he's one of the prophets of old that's come back from the dead. Uh, to be sure, there are echoes to one of the prophets, Moses. Uh, there's the 12 apostles doing the dishing up. There's the 12 baskets. You can make a connection between that and the 12 tribes of Israel, that's for sure. Uh, certainly also them being in a desolate place reminds you of the Israelites in the wilderness when they didn't have the faith for God to provide, even though they'd just seen God do these giant miracles. There's a bit of a parallel there. But I think Luke, more so than the other Gospels, is more interested in a different prophetic connection. For this, you need to flip open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. It'll be on the screen behind me also. 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44. As I read it, listen and see if your ear picks up on the parallels between how Luke's telling this miracle and what happened in the Old Testament. A man came from Baal Shalishah, mouthful right there, um, came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. So in the mighty prophet Elisha's ministry, there was a moment where there wasn't enough to go around. Uh, he had a problem, not as big a problem as Jesus did. Uh, instead of 5,000 people plus women and children, he had 100 men to feed. Instead of five loaves and two fish, he had uh, 20 loaves of bread and some grain in a sack. And then he was told uh, that the, a word of the Lord meant that the, if you served this up, that the men would eat their fill and there would be a little left over. But in Jesus' case, they eat their fill and there are 12 giant mounds of food left over. In Elisha's case, it was the Lord who provided and in Luke's case, it is the Lord Jesus who is clearly the provider. You see, Luke is painting a picture for us as Jesus, uh, not just living up to the hype of the crowds, but even surpassing it, possessing a power that no mere prophet from the past ever had, a, a power that belongs only with God as our provider of all things. Uh, Jesus has the very authority of God to provide for his people, which shows that he truly is the Lord of heaven. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, one of the things you need to understand about Jesus is that he doesn't claim to be just one prophet in the line of a whole lot of prophets that all speak for God equally. 
Uh, there's this very democratic thought out there with religion these days. Uh, that no matter what religion or holy man you pick, that they all tell us something true of God and that we shouldn't try and prioritize one over the other. Uh, whether it's um, Mohammed or Buddha or Krishna, whatever holy man you choose to follow, that we should just assume that they're all right in some mysterious way. Uh, but friend, that doesn't work logically. And it doesn't match with what Jesus says about himself and what the Bible reveals about him. Uh, Jesus claims to have the authority to speak exclusively for the God of heaven. Uh, he claims to be the only person that can tell us about matters of heaven because he claims to actually be from heaven as God the Son come down in human flesh. And that all means that when Jesus tells us that we need to come find life in him, it's no suggestion. It's the only way to have a forever relationship with God, one that can fill the famine present in each of our souls. And see, the, the message of the Bible is not that we're okay on our own and we need a little help. It's that on the inside, we're dead and empty. And we need God to fill us. Uh, and the way God provided nourishment for our dead, famished souls is by sending his son, Jesus. Uh, Jesus dealt with our biggest problem, our sins, by giving his life up so that we could inherit eternal life from God. Uh, he did that by allowing himself to be killed on the cross. And three days later, after coming back from the dead, he proved once and for all that he can give us the thing he said he could, a life that starts now with God. And a life that enjoys and is satisfied by God forever. A seat at God's banquet table. The, the greatest meal that will ever be served. True satisfaction for our souls. Friend, if you're here this morning and you know there's something lacking in the inside. Jesus is the thing that you've been looking for. You won't find it anyone, anywhere else with anyone else. But you must Realize your own lacking, and you must let that lead you to the feet of Jesus and ask him to fill you. Now, for those of us who are Christians this morning, is there a more basic lesson for us to have to learn again and again than Jesus delights to provide for us? That no matter how bad our lack feels or how dark the storm clouds feel over us, that finding our way back to Jesus is what we need most of all. I heard a story about a man. Uh, he was, uh, I read a book about him, and uh, he was a pastor. He was living at a time and in a spot where um, his family didn't have a lot of extra to go around. And in one particular week, he found himself in such dire straits that he wasn't sure there was going to be enough money to buy groceries. Uh, he was counting on a job coming in that he'd get paid for so that he could buy groceries that evening coming up. And so he was greatly distraught when that job fell through. So he knew that he was going to not be able to put food on the table for his wife and kids. And that bugged him a lot. But he was a man that had learned the lesson of lack in the past. So instead of running from Jesus, he went toward him. Uh, he went out on a walk in the woods. Just him and Jesus talking and praying. Not sure exactly what he was going to do. And as he was walking through the woods, he came across a kind of ditch area. It had been raining the days before, so it was unusually wet for that time of year. 
And he found, to his surprise, a patch of mushrooms had popped up in that ditch. And this particular man knew about mushrooms and knew that these were not the bad kind. These were the edible, good kind. And in fact, you could eat them and you could even trade and sell them. So he harvested enough of them to bring back something to eat that night and even to trade and be able to have enough for groceries. And he learned that lesson. A lesson that Christians learn again and again through their life with Jesus in this world. Jesus delights to plentifully provide for his people. Uh, you never have to worry that Jesus is going to roll his eyes or send you away empty-handed. Uh, when you come to him, no matter what the nature of your lack, you'll find Jesus to be the provider that you need. Uh, maybe it's something to do with a family member who feels like they're placing burdens on you that you can't bear. My dear brothers and sisters, would you bring that lack of strength to Jesus and ask him to fill it for you? Uh, maybe it's something of a darker sort, uh, some sin that you feel like you don't have the strength to, to finally get out from under. Would you come to Jesus with empty hands and ask him to give you the grace and strength needed to conquer? Uh, whatever your lacking is, friend, whether it's spiritual or physical, known to many or known only to God, the right thing is to come to Jesus. And you'll find plentiful provision for whatever problem you face. Uh, look, there's also something here to instruct us in the way that Jesus most often provides. Uh, sometimes he does things that are flat out miraculous, quirks of providence like those mushrooms. But more often than not, uh, Jesus provides through his people. Now, I don't think it was an accident that Jesus did the miracle in the way he did. Uh, he certainly could have done the miracle in such a way that the food just landed on people's laps without anyone having to serve it. But did you notice he gave the disciples an active role in providing for the needs of these people? And that's a preview of what the disciples are going to do in the days ahead. How they will do ministry on Jesus' behalf after he's ascended to heaven. But it's also a picture of the way that so often Jesus uses us to provide for the needs of others. Uh, sometimes that's by way of finances. Uh, we hear of a need, maybe even before anyone else does. In the secret before the Lord, we provide resources so that someone knows that God cares and provides. Um, maybe it's done relationally. Uh, sometimes people are very lonely. They have a lack of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, even as they are part of the body of Christ. And yet when we welcome them into the body of believers and even go out of our way to show them hospitality and let them into our own lives, we're part of the way God provides for what's lacking relationally. Uh, sometimes it's physical. Sometimes someone is so lonely, they just need someone to hug them and give them, uh, uh, hug them and, and pray with them. Uh, it's been remarkable how many times someone has told me how much it's meant that a member of our church would take the time to shake their hand and hug them. Do you know in that moment, you are providing from the resources Jesus has given you. You are part of the way he provides his plenty to someone inside our church. Uh, brothers and sisters, there's a myriad of ways that Jesus uses us to accomplish his mission. And realize when he does this, it is not uh, because he has any lack in of himself. 
It is for our joy and our dignity. We get to be a part of the grand work that he does. And we get to see him at work in the lives of others, even as we increase in joy ourselves. I don't know what God's going to lay in, on your heart in, uh, in terms of providing for others this afternoon. Uh, whatever it is, let me just encourage you. Act on it quickly. Uh, don't wait too long for you to get distracted by all the other things that are going to happen the rest of the week. Or for the enemy to come along and sow doubts into your head. If there's someone you think needs encouragement, someone that needs some sort of provision, and you're in a place where you can actually provide it, then just go ahead and do it. And do it in the name of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, in all this we recognize we're not spending our own resources. Whether we have a lot or a little, everything we have came from Jesus. So we are using his resources to represent our king and to accomplish his mission in the world. And as we do that, we grow in our own faith, reminding ourselves that Jesus plentifully provides for us, and we help others to believe that as well, as they know Jesus is provider as well. Yesterday, God helped me. Today, he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever praise his name. Brothers and sisters, whatever lack you have, would you learn from it that Jesus plentifully provides for our famished souls? Let's pray. Oh Jesus, thank you for being our provider. Uh, Thank you for not withholding anything good from us, Uh, knowing exactly what we need day by day, each measure of grace, poured out precisely so that we would not forsake you in feeling as if we were self-sufficient and not despair thinking that you had forgotten about us. Uh, Jesus, would you help us to be content with what you have sent? Not necessarily the things that we want, but the things that we need, knowing that every gift that you give is good and is to lead us back to thanksgiving to you. Uh, Jesus, would you help us as a church to be generous with the things you've given us? Would we take delight in providing plentifully over the overflow of the resources you've given us? Uh, Let us be faithful to your calling, Jesus. Provide for people through our hands. We pray in your mighty name. Amen.